Welcome to Emmaus Church community. My name is Nathan. It's happy to see you here in the middle of the summer. Welcome to church. Uh, if you'd like to grab a Bible, just raise your hand. Justin or one of the ushers will hand it to you. And inside the Bibles are communication cards. If you'd like, you can fill out a card, hand off some uh, contact information, a prayer request, uh, comments today would be helpful. Anything you'd like, we'll collect those cards again in a few minutes when, we're, uh, when we receive the offering. All right. I just hope you feel this morning uh, welcome to bring whatever situation is happening in your life into this place. Um, Jesus promises us that there will be trouble. Uh, that should not be a surprise to us that life involves situations that are difficult and hard. The invitation is to not to ignore those things when you come to church, but to bring those things into church and to allow uh, the, the, the presence and the power of Christ to address those things. Jesus assures us that he has overcome the world. And so whatever's going on in your heart and your mind today, I, I hope that you'll bring those, those realities, those hard truths uh, into this place and uh, allow the Lord to give, give you some perspective and some truth onto that. All right. So uh, a friend of mine recently told me that she was, <clears throat> she was loading her groceries in her car. And then she went to return the... Um, she went to return the grocery cart because that's what you should do. And as, as she was returning the grocery cart, uh, she turned her back on the car and she came back and realized that her purse had been stolen out of her car. And when she told me that, I thought, man, that's not right. I mean, that's, that's, that is just not right. I'm trying to do the right thing. Another friend of mine spent his well-earned vacation time traveling to Latin America to volunteer at this human, humanitarian organization and as he stepped off this sort of rickety bus to get to the village to which he was traveling, he re realized that his wallet had been stolen out of his pocket while he was on the bus to the village where he was going to help people. <clears throat> I thought, that's not right. That is not right. Did you ever sit next to this kid? <laughs> yeah, see, that's not right. You knew that in the third grade. That's not right. Uh, just a friendly reminder to all you dog lovers out there. Um, not everyone thinks your dog is just being friendly, all right? And uh, some people don't want to share their ice cream cones, all right? That's just not right. It's definitely not right for her. Uh, anybody have this guy as a big brother? Yeah, that's not right. Or even worse, the friend of the big brother who comes over and takes advantage of anyone who's smaller. There, there were several times this week, friends, uh, just this week, where I experienced something, I heard about something, um, I discovered something that angered me, that made me shake my head, that made me um, frustrated, filled with a sense of, uh, of like anger, and I need to do something about that, it made me just think that's not, that's not right, that, that shouldn't happen. And I bet that all here, that, that each of you could tell me a story this morning about something that you saw, something that you read, something that you discovered, something that you heard about, maybe something that you personally experienced that was not right, it was wrong. Things like that shouldn't happen. Shouldn't have to experience stuff like this. Others shouldn't experience stuff like this. Maybe it was some sort of unfortunate and disappointing turn of events that in a few years you'll laugh about it, it'll be, it'll be interesting or, or funny. Um, maybe instead it was something much more serious something much more devastating. I'm, I'm very aware of the uh, reality. Come on in, guys. It's fine. I'm very aware of the reality that when we talk about injustice in our culture, 
there, there are, there's like twin dynamics. On one level, um, we may not be faced with injustice at a level that we hear others are faced with most often. Um, and yet, if we have experienced injustice, it's not funny. It's not funny at all. It's not a laughing matter. It's not something we can kind of ramp into lightheartedly. Um, so I wanted to start today just with some, hopefully try to ease us in to a topic that is, uh, is all about things that shouldn't happen. When, when, when we share stories that um, involve people being treated unfairly, when we encounter prejudice or racism or greed or extreme selfishness in all kinds of different ways, when we see the hurt and the damage that's caused by that, it's not funny at all. It's some of the hardest stuff that we have to deal with in life. That's what that stuff is. It's the hardest stuff. And it's not right. It's not the way it's, it's supposed to be. Um, I'm often invited into people's lives or into people's marriages or into people's homes or into people's hospital rooms when things have broken, when things have not gone the way they should have gone. That's often why I get the phone call. And one of my favorite portions of scripture to go to in situations like this where deep comfort is needed is this psalm in the Bible, Psalm 139. And uh, typically I'll go to Psalm 139 as a source of comfort because it includes some really beautiful phrases like this. David's praying to the Lord. He says, you've searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. A little later on down the prayer, he prays, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. But then what's a little bit surprising, so these are helpful words to address anxiety, to address fear, to address feelings of, of meaninglessness. But if you keep reading this psalm, there's this interesting phrase, this set of phrases at the end of the psalm. And it provides similarly graphic soul language but for those who have witnessed or who have experienced injustice, for those who, who have gone through something that's just not right, in the same prayer, the very same prayer, David prays, if only God you would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. Goes on to say, it won't be on the screen, but it goes on to say, they speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord? And abhor those who are in rebellion against you. I have nothing but hatred for them, David says. I count them my enemies. And when I read this prayer, I remember where I was when I read this prayer for the first time. I was just becoming a Christian. I was 13 years old. It was a Petra concert. Anybody? Woo, all right. So I was at a Petra concert, and I heard this. I heard, I think, was it John Schlitt? There we go. And he prayed this. And they prayed part of it. And I went home and I read the whole prayer after the concert because I was like, that's incredible. That's in the Bible. He knows everything about me. All the days ordained in me, written in a book. And I'm like, this, this is kind of blowing my mind. I didn't know what to do with these words, though. I didn't know what to do. Um, and, and I had this Bible that my mom gave me when I was a kid. And I kept it and, and used it all the way through college. And by the end of college, when it was just kind of falling apart, I had underlined and highlighted every word in Psalm 139 except this part because I didn't know what to do with this part I wasn't sure if I could really pray God slay the wicked it, <laughs> I just didn't really know how to how to handle that um, and and I didn't know if it was right for me to tell God that I hated some people uh, but David does and he then <laughs> he jumps right back into a prayer that's most of us would feel very comfortable, including in our prayer books or our hymnals. He, he continues at the end of the prayer, and he prays, Search me, God, and know my heart. 
Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Friends, so our summer series is a series on common prayers from the Bible. A series on common prayers, uh, common cries of the human heart. Expressions of honest relationship with the Lord. This is why we're leaning into this. Sometimes prayers like this are called um, prayers of retribution. Prayers like, if only God, you would slay the wicked. And, and I want to give you a few more examples of these. And you might be surprised uh, to hear some of them. Because, yes, these are in the Bible. And no, they don't usually appear on inspirational calendars and Pinterest boards. They're, just, they're not good for art, uh, necessarily. Um, but here's one. Here's David praying in Psalm 28. This is, we're talking about this common prayer for justice, all right? Uh, do not drag me away with the wicked, with those who do evil, who speak cordially with their neighbors, but harbor malice in their hearts. He goes on and says, repay them. There's the prayer for retribution right there. Repay them for their deeds and for their evil work. Repay them for what their hands have done and bring back upon them what they deserve. In Psalm 40, David prays, may all who want to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. May those who say to me, aha, aha, be appalled at their own shame. This is from Psalm 94, and this is David. I think in your notes I, I accidentally said it's Asaph, but this is David. The Lord is a God who avenges. O God who avenges, shine forth. Rise up, judge of the earth. Pay back the proud for what they deserve. He will, pay, uh, he will repay them for their sins and destroy them for their wickedness. The Lord, our God, will destroy them. And this next one is probably... The most intense language in the Bible, in my opinion. Um, it, it might even require a parental warning. Um, this is from Psalm 109. David is praying to God about a friend of his who has turned and, and uh, um, betrayed him. And this is what he prays. And I, it's long. I, mean, I just put one slide up. But this is what he prays. Appoint someone evil to oppose my enemy. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he's tried... Let him be found guilty. May his prayers condemn him. May his days be few. May another take his place of leadership. May his, get this, may his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. David is very upset at this point. Uh, may his children be wandering beggars. May they be driven from their ruined homes. May a creditor seize all he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his labor. May no one extend kindness to him or take pity on his fatherless children. May his descendants be cut off, their names blotted out from the next generation. May the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord. May the sin of his mother never be blotted out. May their sins always remain before the Lord. May he blot out their name from the earth. Is that even legal? Can we pray stuff like that? That is scathing language. That is trash talk to the tenth. I mean, that is, that is intense um, language. Most of us don't even know what to do with this, especially when we realize that this is not David's private journal that somebody uncovered. This is like public worship material. Can you imagine if Josh got up here this morning and said, hey, I got a new song for you. <laughs> May no one ever remember your children's names. I mean, what in the world? 
Uh, it's not like David is the only one who, you know, David's like a Braveheart guy. He's like a warrior poet. So you might go, well, David was a little extreme. He had blood on his hands his entire life. But Moses prays prayers like this. Jeremiah pray, prays prayers like this. And, it, and this kind of theme is not even just in the Old Testament. It's also in the New Testament. Um, David, or I'm sorry, Paul writes this to the Thessalonian church. He said, God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you. He will give relief to those who are troubled. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. That's an image of judgment to Timothy, his disciple. He says, he's talking to him at the end of one of his letters, and he says um, this. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his work. Uh, and then at the end of the Bible, John's revelation, you hear the martyrs of the church crying out to the Lord, those who have been killed because of their faith. And they cry out saying, how long, sovereign Lord, how uh, holy and true until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. All right. So what is this all about? How do we understand this ancient and consistent pattern of people asking God to break the teeth of their enemies, to not forgive the sins of the mother of their enemies, to remember the wrongs committed against them. Friends, I think that the fact that there's no shortage of these kinds of prayers all through scripture reveal how deeply we long for justice, how intense and personal this actually is. We can make it a political issue, we can make it a public issue, but really, when you hear the prayers of people, you're accessing the personal, right? And so this reveals just how how deeply these wounds go. The reality is that all kinds of people all throughout his human history have seen and experienced injustice and they thought that's not right. That's wrong. Things should not be like that. And if they're like that, somebody should do something about it, right? Somebody should teach that guy a lesson. The teacher ought to do something about that. Um, the coach ought to do something about that. The police should do something about that. My parents should do something about that. Whoever's in charge, whoever's got power, they better, they better step up and do something about all of this injustice. And so maybe it's not surprising to hear the writings of the people of God, including words like, well, God ought to do something about that, right? God ought to do something about this. That someone ought to be God. We simply expect God to act in accordance with his character. We expect him to act in according to his character. And something that very deep inside us wants to believe God is just. And in fact, that's what the Bible reveals is that God is just. So if God is just, he should do justly. He should support the weak. He should bring justice to situations that are wrong. And the plea for divine retribution is really just a plea for God to act on the basis of his character. If this is the way you are, God, then let's see it. Let's show me the justice, right? Because I'm really aware of the injustice. So where's the justice? So there's so much that could be said about these prayers of retribution because the whole situation is messy and fingers start like the, the connections from this topic to other topics are, are, are significant. Like this relates to the problem of evil and the prayers for justice relate to the uh, idea of the effectiveness of prayer in general and prayers for justice affects also this idea of sort of moral um, ethics. Like, how should we respond? So I've been fighting all week. I just got, I, I think I edited half this sermon out on Friday um, because I, I was struggling to explain, explain, explain. Um, and, and instead, I think of trying to explain, I, just, I, I decided I'm just going to see how can we faithfully respond 
to this reality. I'm not sure I can explain it. Um, I could try. It would take a really long time. So instead, the question for this morning is how do we faithfully respond to the fact that there are all these prayers against injustice in Scripture? How do we faithfully respond? Uh, So I think what I'll do is I'll just offer three invitations for you to consider. In light of the fact that the prayer for justice is such a common prayer in Scripture, here are three ways that I would invite us to respond. First, simply, you should pray for justice. I invite you to pray for justice. Now, here's what's interesting about this to me. For some of you, this is not a part of your prayer life because it's not very natural for you to think, oh, man, I need justice, which says something about your position in the world, doesn't it? The fact that I didn't grow up with with only God would slay the wicked reveals that my childhood was pretty stable and secure and protected. I didn't have this deep sense that me, my mom, my people, my town were all being hosed all the time by these powerful oppressors. Um, So it's interesting that some of us, it's like, wow, I I don't know if I've prayed for justice much. Um, And so I would say, man, that's interesting. We should pray for justice. We should pray for justice. Others of us, this has very much been a, um, an authentic, personal, deeply felt reality because we have been abused. We have been mistreated deeply and personally. And, and thank you very much. It has been very natural for me to pray, uh, God, would you slay the wicked or similar prayers? Because maybe you're thinking, I have actually experienced injustice. So we, I want to invite us, even if, whether it's natural or kind of a not-so-natural kind of prayer, to pray for justice for three reasons. One, because God is just, if you're taking notes. Two, because Jesus teaches us to pray for justice. May the kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's where he does it. He teaches us to pray for justice. And then third, and probably from a, from a pastoral standpoint, I would say this is probably the most important, and that is this, that to not pray for justice is to be less than honest. We're invited not into a polite relationship with God. We're invited into a real relationship with God, an honest relationship with God, which means that we, uh, we are welcome to pray messy prayers impolite prayers, emotional prayers. This is how I'm feeling about that kind of prayers. Prayers like, if only you would slay the wicked. That might be the most honest prayer you can pray. Often when people experience injustice, I have found they don't want to pray at all. They don't want to pray at all. I was uh, talking with a young woman a few weeks ago who had experienced deep injustice. She said, I don't have anything nice to say to God. Somebody told her when she was like in third grade, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all, which might work in a classroom. But that's not, God didn't say that. Where is it written that we can't speak honestly to God? Where did we get this twisted, overly polite Victorian idea maybe that we can only speak nice words to God? That if we're feeling this gross, what in the world, that we can't just share that with God? Here's the big boy truth. Are you ready? God can handle anything you say to him. Okay? He can handle it. So if your heart is full of pain, pour that pain out to the Lord. If your heart is full of confusion, pour that out. If it's full of anger, 
you need to pour that out. If it's full of language not traditionally welcomed in polite society, bring it. Just lay it out. Let God know exactly how you feel right now. Be honest. Pour your heart out to the Lord. You're not called to a polite relationship with God. You're called to an honest one. If you're a parent, you, I think you would understand that you would rather have your children not just talk to you about the good things in their life, right? You would like for them also to feel free to talk to you about the hard things in their life, the things in their life that are broken, that have not worked out, the things, and how they feel about that, the confusing things. You want to hear, tell me what feels unfair about that to you. Of course, you want to hear the whole story. If they come home from school, do you just want to hear about the good grade they got and the nice thing they did at recess? No, you also want to hear about that minute or that, or that season in which something really bad happened. You want to know about that, and you want to know how that made them feel. You want to have a relationship in which they feel safe to come to you and say, this happened, and it really made me angry. And you don't care if their perspective is totally accurate. That doesn't matter to you. It doesn't matter if they see the whole picture in that moment. You want honesty. It doesn't matter if their language is raw. You welcome that as a good parent because that's what you're going for is a real relationship. Right? We'll work on reverence and we'll work on respect. That's a part of the picture. But in this moment of, of I have been offended, you're not worried about that right now. You just want honesty. Our closest relationships are the ones in which we're free to be honest in which we're free to say, this is what happened, and it's just not right. A good friend wants to enter into that dissonance with you. A good friend wants to say, yeah, that's, that's part of life, and I want to be in that real life with you. And, and that's that kind of real life that we're invited into with God. That's what we're invited into with God. So the first invitation is this. Pray for justice. Pray that God rights the wrongs and puts broken things back together again. Secondly, I'd invite you to pray against the wicked. We should, friends, we should pray that the evil intentions of selfish people will be frustrated. We should. We should ask God to defeat those who seek to harm others. Paul writes to the Christians in Ephesus, it's a really clarifying statement. He says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms in other words the real battle is spiritual so we should do battle on a spiritual level right we should pray against the wicked we should engage the fight at this level now here's the caution and it's important um, especially for people who are in, in broad, in a kind of a big, big uh, generalization, people in, in a position of privilege. Here's the caution. Remember that God is the one who decides what is just. Remember that God is the judge. You're not the judge. Often in the heat of the moment, when justice seems really simple to me, then um, the right way to go forward is really clear. I'm right, you're wrong. <laughs> okay? I'm right, they're wrong. I understand justice. It's a black and white issue. You've offended me. So it's clear, but even more often than that, in the complex situations that, uh, in which I get involved, in which you get involved, do you ever, do you ever feel you're, like you're in this position of thinking, man, I don't know, it's complicated. This is, a, this is a, a messy situation. I'm glad I don't have to decide what is just. I recently talked to a guy who's got, uh, just received 15 years of uh, prison time for a serious crime. And... Um, 
some people would look at this man and look at what he did, and they would, and they would say this. They'd say, 15 years for that? Uh, that's way too lenient. That's not just. Should have got 30. Other people uh, would look at the same man in the same sentence and have a different opinion. If, if you look closer, you might see a man who never knew his father. The one thing he knew that his father did made him never want to know his father. Those who were designed to love this man never did. This man's been systematically and horribly abused to the point that his life felt more like that of an animal than that of a human. So when he offends somebody in the same manner in which he himself had been offended since his earliest memories, what does justice look like, right? 15, 30, 10? I don't know. Am I, am I saying what he did is excusable? Of course not. It's totally inexcusable. It's broken. It, it passed on more disaster and more destruction, just perpetuated it. It was wrong. I, I am simply saying that justice in this case is only simple if we choose not to look at the whole story. And that's what makes it so complicated. If you consider the fuller story where there are layers and layers and layers of injustice, where there are generations and generations and systems and systems of injustice, then it just gets a little bit more complicated. And so as we pray against the wicked, remember that it is God and only God who can really judge the person. And so we might find ourselves praying against wicked thoughts or against wicked words or against wicked actions. We might find ourselves, in other words, praying against wickedness uh, more than praying against a wicked person. That might be something to consider. But that person is wicked. That person is evil. Example, example, example. Okay, well, we can rest in the assurance in those cases that God understands and God will do what is good. He'll do what is just. He'll do what is right. There will be justice and there will be mercy. The message of Christ includes the assertion that none of us really get what we deserve. All of us get better than we deserve because of Christ. And it is God who decides what is just. So we should pray against the wicked and we should pray against wickedness. And we should make sure that we're not ignoring the fact that a lot of those prayers probably need to include us. Right? Our own evil impulses, words, actions. So. What we're talking about this morning is how should we respond to when we read prayers in the Bible like if only you would slay the wicked. And what I'm inviting you to consider is you should pray for justice. I'm inviting you to pray against the wicked or against wickedness. And then third and finally, we should, uh, I want to invite you to pray like Jesus prayed. Pray like Jesus Christ. We should resolve to follow Christ's example of prayer as post-resurrection followers of Christ, in other words, as those who have the entire record, the whole story, from the beginning to the end, we've got it here, we've got the blessing of having the whole Bible in our hands. We should pray like Christ prayed. We should follow Christ, who essentially does these two things, prays for his enemies and works for restoration. Let me just briefly comment on those two thoughts. First, to pray like Jesus means you pray for your enemies. The pattern that we, this is so fascinating to me, the pattern that we see in the Old Testament, without exception, and the pattern that we see even throughout the intertestamental period, that is the 400 years between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, the pattern continues there, 
in books like 1st, 2nd, and 3rd Maccabees, is to, and, and it also continues in some ways and in some situations in the New Testament, the pattern is this. When the faithful are mistreated, when the faithful experience injustice, they endure injustice and they pray against their enemies. That's what happens. Beginning all the way through the intertestamental period. They pray, like David prays, that God would bring justice, that God would pay back those who are hurting them. In other words, the heroes in the Old Testament and the heroes like the Maccabean family in the intertestamental period are those who face their oppressors with courage while cursing them. Yeah, I know that we're not going to win, but God's going to get you for this. They're facing him with courage as they curse them. But then, of course, Jesus takes it to another level, right? Of course, Jesus challenges this pattern and establishes a new way and a true way to be human. And when Jesus is mistreated, when Jesus experiences injustice, he endures injustice and he prays not against but for his oppressors, his, the, the very people who are putting nails in him. He prays, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. More complex than it appears. They don't know what they're doing. And if we look to Jesus, we see the hero who is facing his oppressors with courage, but he's not cursing them. He's blessing them right in the midst of it. Well, that's Jesus. Well, guess what? Followers of Jesus did the same thing. They did the same thing. Like Stephen, for example, the first Christian martyr, he does the same thing. He is being killed for his faith in Christ. He endures injustice with courage while not cursing, but by, while blessing the very people who are throwing rocks at him and who end up killing him. So praying like Jesus means we pray for our enemies. And secondly, praying like Jesus means we work for the restoration of all things. On the cross, Jesus is praying with his words and Jesus is praying with his actions. You see, with his words and his actions, Jesus is working for restoration. In other words, how is he responding to injustice? Well, he's praying something and he's doing something. And actually, I'm not really comfortable with that dichotomy. But I use it because we're familiar with it. Because prayer is doing something and doing something can be a form of prayer. But that's exactly what Christ is doing. The Jesus response, the Christian response to injustice is prayer and action. Uh, one without the other is incomplete. Spiritual and physical engagement. That's the Christian response. Jesus perfectly demonstrates what the Jewish prophets taught and very few people of any ever really experienced or, um, or fully, fully revealed in their life, which is this, that the quality of your faith, okay, listen, the quality of your faith will be revealed by the quality of justice in the land. And the quality of justice in the land will be revealed by the way that the vulnerable are treated in and when you live, the place and the time in which you live. The quality of your faith, the effectiveness of your faith, maybe is another way of putting it, will be revealed in the quality of the justice that is happening around you. How do we know what's, well, the quality of the justice will be revealed by the way the vulnerable are, are treated. The, the biblical um, examples are widows, orphans, and strangers. Widows, orphans, and aliens. Same word, widows, orphans, and immigrants. Same word. Put another way, we're not called to just oppose injustice, friends. We're not called to just point our fingers 
at things that are wrong and go, that's not bad. That's not right. We're not, we're not called, called to just protest against injustice. That's bad. You're perverted. That's wrong. We're called to not just oppose injustice, but do something about it. That's what we're called to do. We're called to do something about injustice. We're called to bring justice. For Christians, friends, justice is restorative. It's restorative. So for Christians, it's not enough to lift up the good and damn the bad. Christians, real followers of Christ, must engage the bad with the goal of restoration, with the goal of bringing uh, two broken situations wholeness. All right, so there's a scene in uh, Star Wars, um, which is exactly where you thought I was going, right? Return of the Jedi... When the hero, Luke Skywalker, he resolves to face the evil villain, uh, Darth Vader, not to kill him, but to turn him back from the dark side, right? Because there's still good in him, Luke says. Uh, he, re he, he reveals this um, surprising hope, saying there's still good in him. Luke will even sacrifice his life in order to turn evil to good. In fact, I, I read, um, we got to visit where the movies were created once when Isaiah was really young, and the working title for this film was Revenge of the Jedi. You know that? Revenge of the Jedi. And they changed it, George Lucas changed it, because Jedis don't get revenge. That's what he says. So it's Return of the Jedi, which echoes biblical themes, the, the return of the king, the, re the return of Christ. Uh, they don't get revenge. We love revenge stories. We love them. We want revenge to happen. Like a crane kick to the head. Bring justice to that mean guy, whatever his name was. Um, right? Show us in the last scene of the movie the good triumph. We want justice, right? And I think that's because we know deep down inside that injustice is wrong. So emotionally, we want God slay the wicked. Take care of it. Friends, but our responsibility as followers... Now, the emotion is not wrong, I don't think. It's raw. It's undirected, potentially, but it's not wrong. It's a, it's a good emotion. Disgust at injustice is right. But our responsibility as followers of Jesus Christ is ultimately to participate in the end of wickedness. It is to participate in the end of wickedness. It's to enter stories defined by patterns of evil and end the pattern. End the pattern. There's a pattern of sexual abuse in my family. I'm going to end that pattern. There's a pattern of, of uh, alcoholism in my family. I'm going to end that pattern. It will stop with me. That's what the Christian response is. There is a pattern of deception in my family or in my community. I will end that. That will stop here. That will stop with me. It stops now and it stops here. Right? I will bring a new pattern to bear. It will be a pattern of justice. That's the Christian response. It's not enough to just say, that's bad, that's wrong. The Christian response, like Christ, is to enter the, the wrong, the broken, and to do something about it. That's wrong, so I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to get off the sideline, and I'm going to get into the battle. Amen? Amen. So, um, Christians must engage in justice in order to end it. I'll just end with this quote. It's one of my favorites. It's from a, a monk in the 17th century. He says this. The present age is not a time for rest and sleep. It's not a time for rest and sleep. 
It's a struggle. It's a combat. It's a market. It's an exchange of ideas. It's a school. People are being formed. It's a voyage. It's a journey, right? Therefore, you must exert yourself and not be downcast and idle, but devote yourself to holy action. Devote yourself to holy action. May we as a church resolve not just to be able to deftly identify pockets of injustice, but may we take it to the next level and may we engage in justice in order to bring justice and wholeness to the world in the name of Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. We're grateful, Lord, that you have clearly, um, you've clearly revealed your heart for justice. I'm also grateful for the invitation to honestly wrestle with you when our emotions are raw because of frustration about injustice or woundedness. I know that people in here have been really mistreated. And um, that this is a personal issue. And I pray for wisdom to be honest about them, these issues, these wounds these frustrations, wisdom to turn the corner, know how to redemptively respond and not get sucked into that same pattern. I was hurt, so now I'm going to hurt somebody else. And I pray that this church, this community, that each of us could be a, a force for good and justice in this world. prerequisites often for just behavior is uh, relationship. And uh, so I want to invite you to stand up as we do each week and just extend peace to those around you. You may not even know them. If you don't, share your name, introduce yourself. This is not about meeting and greeting. This is about putting the, the, the word of God into practice. So may the peace of Christ be always with you. Thank you. Greet one another with the peace of Christ.